Welcome to episode three of the EdTech Classroom podcast. Let's learn and grow together as 21st century educators. So I've got a really exciting podcast plan for us today. We're going to be talking about self-guided projects and Genius Hour. In last week's episode, we talked about project-based learning. And this week, we're going to be focusing on a very specific type of PBL that you can do with your students. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I'd really recommend you check it out. There are really so many incredible overlaps between project-based learning and Genius Hour. But before I jump into an explanation of what Genius Hour actually is, and before I walk you through the planning step-by-step, I just want to start off by shouting out some of the educators who have really paved the way for Genius Hour in schools. Jennifer Gonzalez, AJ Giuliani, and John Spencer. These educators have shared their wisdom with me, and I hope that today I'll be able to give you guys some guidance as well. All right, so let's give some context for Genius Hour. A number of years ago, tech companies started doing this 80-20 idea in their workplaces, where employees are allotted 20% of their work time to work on their own passion projects. The only rule is that their projects have to benefit the company in some way. And what I think is really incredible about this 80-20 idea is that employees have been able to create some pretty amazing, life-changing products. And I'm really not exaggerating here. 20% time has proven to be wildly successful for companies. In fact, some of Google's biggest products, like Gmail and Google News, came from Genius Hour projects. I mean, I use Gmail like literally every single day, and that came out of Genius Hour. So I really can't think of a better example as to why we should give people the opportunity to work on their own projects and their own projects that they're actually passionate about. But in addition to creating some pretty cool products, employees are actually liking work a lot more. When people spend time pursuing their passions, they're happier. They learn more, they contribute more, and they innovate. I know that at my workplace, I would love to be able to explore my own passion project. I mean, imagine the wonderful things that teachers could create if they too could explore their own interests. Now, luckily for students, many teachers have also begun using Genius Hour over the past few years under a similar premise. Students can spend a certain amount of time. This is either decided on by the teacher or by the school to work on their own self-guided passion projects. In a Genius Hour project, students will have several weeks where they research topics of their choice, and then they create final products to share with the community. So this can either be the school community or the community at large. Now, if this sounds overwhelming to you, I totally get it. Personalized learning can seem really difficult to achieve, especially remotely. But I'd really like to shift our thinking here because I actually think that now is the perfect time to be exploring innovative learning models and lesson plans like Genius Hour. Now's the time to experiment. Now's the time to give students agency and to ignite passion in students around learning. And what better way to do that? What better way, in my opinion, to 
honor students' social-emotional needs than by implementing Genius Hour in your classroom. So let me tell you guys the secret sauce of Genius Hour. There is no magic formula. There's no special recipe to implementing the perfect Genius Hour. All you need is to make sure that you're focusing on two main areas, passion and purpose. Genius Hour works best when students feel like they're deeply passionate about their project topics. And when students actually feel like there's a purpose to their project and a real world application. So now you might be asking why Genius Hour? Well, research continues to show the importance of amplifying student voice and choice in our classrooms. This is something I've talked about in my previous episode and you'll continue to hear me talk about in episodes to come. Student agency is just really critical to teaching students how to love learning. And not only that, when students have agency over their work, they tend to be more engaged, which then in turn leads to deeper learning. And right now, given the uncertainty of what the world looks like in 2020 and what next school year is going to look like, students really need and crave agency. Students want to have ownership over their education. And by allowing students to pursue their own passion projects, you'll be able to guide them along the way. You'll sort of be like coaches to their learning process. And you'll allow your students to shine and to thrive like never before. So if you're listening to this now and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, Genius Hour sounds great, but I don't think I can do that with my students. Well, guess what? Yes, you can. If you work at a school or in a district with really strict standards and curriculum, you can create a genius hour that aligns with state standards. You can do this with your high schoolers, middle schoolers, and even elementary students. You can literally do genius hour with students of all ages and of all abilities. In fact, I've seen Genius Hour implemented very successfully in pretty much every single grade level K through 12. I have also seen it done successfully in most subject areas too. So if you're a science teacher, an ELA teacher, a Spanish teacher, a math teacher, if you are a teacher, you can do Genius Hour with your students. So today I just really want to go into an in-depth exploration of how you can plan a Genius Hour inquiry-based lesson unit with your students. I want you to walk away from today's episode with an exact plan for how you could begin implementing Genius Hour in your classroom like tomorrow. So now's the time in the podcast where you might want to jot down some notes. If you're not feeling it right now, no worries at all. You can actually just visit my blog later to read this transcription. So before starting this project with your students, you need to decide whether you're aligning your genius hour with a specific standard or subject area. So for example, are you wanting your students to explore a specific topic like US history or ecosystem science? Or are you wanting your students to take a deep dive into anything in the world that they might be passionate about. In my opinion, you can really meet state standards either way. 
Um, so I think you should just decide what makes the most sense for your course curriculum. So an elementary ELA teacher, for example, might opt for students to explore their passions in general. Whereas a science teacher might want to zoom in on a very specific topic, like space or the ecosystem. For today's example, we're going to look at a Genius Hour project, a very general Genius Hour project. But later, I still am going to provide some examples on how you can apply 20% time to a variety of different subjects. So like I mentioned earlier, you can really apply Genius Hour to any grade level, any subject area. So today I'm just gonna give a very general framework. That way I think you'll be able to have some concrete takeaways no matter if you teach six-year-olds or if you teach 16-year-olds. So when I've done Genius Hour with my students in the past before, I've structured my unit around five different key pillars. And it's important to keep in mind that these five pillars really focus on student passion and purpose. So those two main ingredients that I was talking about earlier. So for pillar number one, students select their topics. Number two, students formulate research questions. Number three, students actually research their topics. Number four, students create their projects. And then lastly, students share their projects with the school or greater community. At the very start of a Genius Hour unit, I really always recommend sharing these five steps with your students. I think that it's so important for students to be able to understand where they're actually going. In order for them to create really effective goals and projects, students need to have a roadmap. So that's where these five steps come in. On the very first day of Genius Hour, I'd recommend breaking these five steps down with your students. Well, actually, I'd recommend explaining to them what Genius Hour is first, and then you can break down these five steps. So you'll tell them, for example, that they have one week to brainstorm their topic ideas. Then they might have another week to formulate research questions. Maybe they'll have two weeks to research, a week to create their project, and a week dedicated to sharing their project with the greater community. So this timeline is really up to you. Um, this is a structure that I've used before and a timeline that's worked well for me. But the point is that it's just critical that you lay out some sort of structure to students at the beginning of Genius Hour, and of course, in a really age-appropriate way. Which reminds me that if you're teaching elementary students, it's also really important to consider sending home a letter to families about what Genius Hour actually is. So you can explain to families in this letter the idea behind Genius Hour and that you're going to be guiding students to not only meet state standards and core competencies, but also to explore ideas like student agency. So I think it's a good idea to send a letter home to families just so that on the first day of Genius Hour, you aren't all of a sudden getting a ton of emails asking you, you know, why your kids are learning about video games at school. Um, so now that we know what these five pillars are, let's take a look at each of these in greater detail. Okay, so first on my list, we have choosing a topic. So I recommend launching into this unit by encouraging your students to self-reflect and brainstorm. So on the very first day, I might have my students brainstorm what their strengths and stretches in school are. 
I might also have them brainstorm what their passions outside of school are, um, what their, their interests are, what they like to do. And this day is really just meant to focus on getting to know your students so that you could guide them to select a meaningful topic that's right for them. So you might have your students create I wonder pages where they write down all of their different wonderings, anything that they wonder about in the world. And if this next idea makes sense for your classroom or your school community, you might even have your students do something like wonder and wander. So if you've never heard this term before, maybe it's not a popular phrase in education, but it's a term that one of my favorite teachers of all time, David Dunbar, taught me my junior year of high school. And I'll truly never forget this idea. So he'd say to our class, go wonder and wander, meaning go walk around, go wander, and think about what you're wondering about. I still do this regularly, by the way. So when I'm in a rut or if I have writer's block, I'll go for a really long walk. I'll wonder and I'll wander. So let's say you've decided to give your students some wandering time or some wandering and wandering time. Then you can have them begin to narrow down their brainstorm to focus on five or so areas that really, really excite them. From there, then you'll be able to coach students into selecting an idea that they're truly deeply passionate about. So whether that be something as academic as quantum physics or something as playful as amusement parks and roller coasters. So now we're going to move on to step two, which is asking questions. In order for students to write really strong research questions, they'll need to actually know what a good research question is. This is where you, as the teacher, can really step in and guide students. You can provide them with some examples of really good research questions. For elementary students, for example, you might say something like, a research question is a question that you base your research on. Great research questions often start with why and how. Can anyone in the class come up with a question that might start with why or how? Or maybe instead you'll say something like, Let's look at a couple of examples of some really great research questions. These two questions both start with the question word, how? Example number one is, how can we reduce food waste in our school? So this is a really great question because blah, blah, blah. Question number two is, how can you design the fastest, most thrilling roller coaster in the world? So hopefully you get the point here. Now, students can begin to brainstorm research questions, and they'll probably need to write many, many research questions before they come up with their final one. And that's okay. In fact, I really think that that's actually great. It's so important that you also be sure to approve their research questions. So make sure that you have some sort of structure in place where you can provide your students with feedback on their research questions. You might want to make sure that your students don't use research questions that are really, really broad or really, really narrow in scope. You don't want your students to ask questions that are impossible to answer, but you also don't want your students to ask questions that have yes, no answers or answers that are just really easy to come across on Google. It's critical that we make sure that our students ask what I like to call just right questions. And you can help guide your students to create these just right questions by providing them with feedback. 
So you can do this through one-on-one check-ins, uh, worksheets that students can turn in, or if you're remote, they can even you know, fill out some Google Forms that students can um, submit and turn in to you. So whatever you choose, just make sure that you have some sort of feedback structure in place. So next on my list, we have researching topics. So once students have a really solid research question, they can actually begin their research. And I think that this is a great time for students to practice reading nonfiction books, for example. Or it can be a really great time for students to practice their digital citizenship skills by doing online research. This can also be a great place to tie in some standards specifically related to research. Students can practice note-taking. Um, they can learn how to distinguish fact from fiction. There's really just so much great learning that can happen from researching a specific topic area. And if you're not sure where to start, I'd recommend that you reach out to your school librarian, or if you don't have one, you can also just take a look at your grade level's ELA standards, uh, and you'll be able to find some helpful, helpful ideas and information. So now we have creating your project. So at this point in the Genius Hour stage, students will have completed their research, and now they can actually start to create their final projects. And this is where students can really go wild with their imaginations and creativity. Students can create movies, um, they can create websites, they can do TED-style talks, they can even put on performances, they can write blog posts, they can make podcasts. And I just think the opportunities here are really, really endless. So you can give students some examples, um, but also this is a great place for students to actually stretch their imaginations. I think you might be really surprised at all the wonderful ideas that your students will come up with. Um, at this stage, however, it's also really, really critical that you give your students as much guidance as possible. This is where I'd really recommend that you have regular project check-ins with your students. To be honest, your students are probably gonna get stuck. They're gonna make mistakes and they're probably gonna fail. But you can help guide them and you can empower them to find beauty in these failures. Something that I've seen around before, and by the way, I cannot take credit for this idea because it's not mine, um, but it's the idea of epic failure boards. I've seen some amazing teachers who have created these epic failure boards in their classrooms where students can post their mistakes and share them with the class. I love, love, love this idea because reframing mistakes as places where learning and growth happens is an amazing way to help your students build confidence and a growth mindset. And if you're teaching remotely, you can create a digital epic failure board. You can have your students use a tool like Padlet, for example, to post sticky note style learnings. Um, but I want to go back to creating projects um, and what I was saying about setting up a procedure so that students can check in with you along the way. Um, so for remote check-ins, you can create a Google form where you ask students questions like, what can I do to support you? Or if this is something that makes sense for your classroom, you could set up 15-minute one-on-one Zoom sessions, or you could create a Flipgrid activity. Um, you could set this activity to private so that only you can see student responses, and you can ask students to reflect on their learning thus far. So lastly, we have sharing projects. 
So much like all project-based learning units, it's so exciting that students can share their work with their classroom. They can share their work with school or they can share their work with the greater community. So what this looks like really depends on your classroom needs, but I'm gonna give you guys a few ideas that I've come up with. These ideas also can really accommodate any type of student project, regardless of the chosen medium. So first on my list, I have a science fair type exhibition. Oh yeah, I really love this idea. So basically you can have a science fair type exhibition where people can gallery walk and learn about student projects. So this idea is actually possible remotely as well. I did this for my school for our fourth grade visual arts end of the year exhibition. And I don't wanna to stray too far away from the subject here, but if this is something that sounds interesting to you, the idea of doing some sort of digital exhibition, uh, you can reach out to me and I can share more specifics with you later. Um, another idea is that you can live stream student presentations on Zoom in a webinar style format. Or if your students have created their final products using a variety of different tools, like for example, let's say, you know, one student made a flyer using Comic Life and another one made a movie on iMovie and another one did something with Google Sites. You can actually create a class web page that accommodates all of these different types of tools. Um, a web page is just a really great way to showcase tons of different types of tech tools and to showcase student learning. So at the end of the day, um, I think the most important idea and takeaway here is that you just gotta make sure that your students are sharing their learning. Um, they're gonna learn by sharing and they're gonna gain some really important life skills while doing it. I think what makes Genius Hour and then PBL in general just so great is that students can actually share their passion with the greater community. It's so powerful for students to be able to present on topics that they chose to present on projects that they created. Genius Hour presentations can give students confidence. They give students autonomy, and they're an opportunity for students to share their voice with the world around them. So I hope that this structure, these five different pillars that I just gave you all, is really helpful in giving you some inspiration to plan your own Genius Hour with your students. If you'd like a pre-made, absolutely no prep Genius Hour project planner for elementary students, please check out the link in this podcast description. I've actually made one that's super, super popular among elementary school teachers across the country, uh, and so I think you'll enjoy it too. But like I mentioned earlier, I do want to add a couple of notes about what subjects Genius Hour works really well with. So here's my honest, honest answer. Genius Hour works well with every single subject. If you're teaching a nonfiction unit, for example, you can consider incorporating Genius Hour so that students can practice researching and analyzing nonfiction texts. Or if you're teaching a STEM unit, consider incorporating Genius Hour so that your students can practice design thinking and making and tinkering. Or if you're a librarian, um, I think that this is a really great opportunity to incorporate Genius Hour. Your students can learn about research and digital citizenship all through Genius Hour. And the list here really goes on. Um, you can provide additional structure to your Genius Hour by also aligning the project to standards. This is something that I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, but I think is a really essential point because I know that most schools do require teachers to write standards up on the board. 
So for these self-guided research projects, no matter what subject you teach, you can write a very general standard or lesson objective on the board. That way, you're meeting state standards and you're giving students a very personalized learning experience. All I'm saying is just try it. If you've always wanted to do Genius Hour with your students, just do it. Just try it. I think that you might notice for the very first time ever, a student. So imagine a kid who normally struggles so much in school. For the first time ever, they might actually thrive. Or think about the student who really excels at traditional school. What if they actually learn what it's like to struggle through uncertainty of self-guided projects? That's great. That student will be a better learner because of it. So for our last topic, I want to just shift gears a little bit and I want to talk about grading. This is something that comes up a lot in conversations about Genius Hour. And I'm just going to be honest here. It's really tricky to figure out how to grade Genius Hour. I mean, should students really even be graded on pursuing their passions? I personally don't necessarily believe that every single thing or every single assignment that a student completes in school should be graded with a letter or a number. And I certainly don't believe that fear of failure should prevent students from pursuing their interests and their passions. Now, if you work at an independent school, you might have some more flexibility in terms of grading. And that's great. That's awesome. A lot of schools have even shifted to a mastery-based grading system where letter grades are totally a thing of the past. But most schools don't have that kind of flexibility. Most schools don't use mastery-based grading. But no matter what type of school you work at, when you're grading a Genius Hour project, it's so important that you grade the process over the product. Now, in general, I'm just always a firm believer in process over product. I think that kids learn so much from the process. So I really recommend that you grade Genius Hour projects based on the five steps we outlined previously. So that was brainstorming, um, writing questions, researching, creating and building, uh, and sharing. And now when you are building your rubric, you can then incorporate content and performance standards based on these five core areas, these five core pillars I keep talking about. So you'll realize that it's actually so much easier to grade Genius Hour when you're able to lean on standards and these different core competencies that students have learned and mastered, like research and presentation skills. Now, in addition to the idea that I just posed, I also want to add that I do know that some teachers use what's called a GRIT rubric, that's G-R-I-T, when they're grading Genius Hour projects. Um, this is something that I've seen on AJ Giuliani's website, uh, but I believe it was originally created by a college track program in San Francisco, um, but it works for elementary school students too, and middle school and high school. Um, so basically the GRIT rubric looks at four main areas. So we have guts for G, resilience for R, integrity, and tenacity. This rubric in general looks at process. So much like the one I recommended before, but this one specifically looks at themes like courage and persistence and reflection, honesty, forward thinking, all of these different, you know, life skills and ideas. And these are all life skills that students are gaining from working on things that they're passionate about. In a link in this podcast description, 
like I mentioned, you're going to find a Genius Hour project planner. And this includes the rubric that I like to use with my students and that I know that teachers across the country have used and loved. Um, but if you're not interested in checking that out, just I just recommend you do a quick Google search for grit rubric um, and see if you think it's something that would align well with your classroom needs. So now I want to shift gears again, and I want to just spend the last couple minutes of this episode thinking about another idea that I've seen online that I think is just super powerful and impactful. So from the time that a student enters kindergarten to the time that they graduate 12th grade, they will have spent over 14,000 hours in school. That's right, 14,000 hours. I was pretty shocked when I heard this for the first time. That's just a lot of hours. Um, but my, my question for you is, how many hours do you think that students spend actually doing things that they're interested in? How many hours do students actually have choice and autonomy and a time to exercise their own voice? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, it's something that kind of weighs on me. And I, I've been thinking about how the second that students leave our classrooms, when they leave our schools, when they enter the real world, they're going to be surrounded by so many choices, like so many choices. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my students to have to wait 14,000 hours to experience autonomy for the first time. I don't want that to be the first time that they experience agency and choice. You know, when I think about my peers, and I'm not just talking about my teacher friends, but like my greater peer community, like my friends that I've had for forever, I, I often wonder about how happy they are, whether they like their jobs. You know, people joke that they're unhappy with work, and maybe I'm starting to get a, a little bit cliche here, but I wonder when that starts, when people become unhappy with work. When does that really begin? Um, because, you know, the second we enter the school system, we don't really have any choices. You know, we study hard to go to college or to get a good job or to get that dream life, that dream internship. But we're never told to study hard so that we can learn. We're never told to explore our passions and our interests and the things that we deeply care about so that we can learn. No, instead, we're told to follow a very specific path. But I'm here today to challenge you. What would your classrooms be like if you spent just 20% of your time allowing students to pursue their passions? Don't let your students experience choice for the first time at 18 years old. Let their journey of lifelong learning and choice begin with you in your classroom. Don't let them wait 14,000 hours Try Genius Hour. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the EdTech Classroom Podcast. As always, I am so happy that you joined me today, and I'm so excited to be on this journey with you as 21st century educators. I can't wait to see you back here next week on Tech Tuesday. We're going to be discussing more ways to bring innovation into your classroom and into the field of education in general. Bye, friends. <laughs>